This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 7, Episode 6 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today is the sixth part of our Simon Pegg series where we're looking at all of the movies he wrote. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at the latest uh, movie that he's written. Not the last, but the latest, right? Mm -hmm. Which is uh, The World's End. Yes. Okay, so The World's End. This is the third film in the Cornetto trilogy. It was directed and co-written by Edgar Wright, just like the other two films in the trilogy. It stars Simon Pegg, and it co-stars Nick Frost, just like the other films. Yep. And uh, you want to tell us what it's about? A guy whose life has not gone the way that he thought it would, whose life he feels has peaked at the day he graduated from secondary school uh, and went on a pub crawl with some friends, decides to get the band back together and attempt the pub crawl again. And while they're on the pub crawl, they find out that the world is not what they think it is. No, I mean, I guess we can say, I mean, I don't think it's really a spoiler. Yeah. It's kind killer of killer robots. Yeah, killer robots. You know, it's very much sort of like Stepford Wives invasion of the body snatchers. Yep. You know, where Shaun of the Dead is, you know, like a Romero zombie movie and Hot Fuzz is a... Would you say Michael yeah. Bay? Uh, yeah, a Michael Bayish cop movie. Yeah. yeah, this this one is killer robots, invasion of the body snatcher style yeah. robots with people being replaced by robot doubles and in an effort by them to take over the world. Yeah, uh, which is interesting in and of itself because they do have a very they have an interesting turn at the end. I, I don't know how how spoilery we'll get, but uh, the the turn is very unexpected at the end because it, it seems very straightforward through the entire uh, film what's going on, and then you get to the end and there's a spin uh, it, it delivered on the on the robot's plan. Well, not robot. That I I will say that was one of the funniest parts of the movie for me was they kept saying robot and people kept correcting them because they're like it comes from the robotchnik or whatever that means slave and we're not slaves and like i that's a cute almost uh tarantino-esque sort of thing like garcon means boy from pulp fiction uh-huh you yeah. know like yeah. them constantly correcting them saying it's not robots and then even having that whole conversation with them, what do we call them <laughs> like that was really that got a good chuckle out of me and they end what up did... just calling them blanks because they can't yeah. think of what to call them you know and that becomes yeah. like their name, you know, throughout history, blanks. Yes. So, you know. uh, well, I mean, I had a very different reaction to this than I did to Paul or Run, Fat Boy, Run. Uh -huh. um, I, like, it was a breath of fresh air. It was, I felt like, I felt like the movie itself felt. The band got back together. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, this is the spark and the verve that I expect from Simon Pegg and from those with him. And this is wonderful, and I got a lot of great laughs. And it's not a perfect movie by any stretch, but I like I was hooked from beginning to end. I mean, how do you feel about it? Um, I'm 
I, I was uh, a fan of it for sure. Uh, this is only the second time that I had seen it. Uh, the okay. first time was on opening night as part of a Cornetto trilogy marathon, um, which, by the way, was also the same night that they announced that Ben Affleck uh, was Batman. I remember that's that. a weird. That's a weird night. No, it's it was weird because like you know everyone's there, a bunch of nerds, obviously watching you know the Cornetto trilogy. And we we all watched Shaun of the Dead, and it was all good. And then we all watched Hot Fuzz, and it was all good. And then we came out of Hot Fuzz, and everyone got on their phones, and everyone's like, <laughs> oh, crap, Ben Affleck's Batman? This is weird, you know? Yeah. <laughs> let's, and go, then, let's go and watch World's have End. That in, <laughs> yeah, have that in the back of your mind while yeah. you're watching The World's End the whole time. Yeah, it is very strange. But... You know, when I when I watched World's End initially, I mean, I guess I did like it a lot, you know, not as much as the other two movies at first. But like I looked back on my letterboxed account and I did give it four out of five stars. Um, Sure. And when I was watching, but I never really felt the desire to watch it again. You know, like I remember it came out the same week as your next. and I kept on saying, like, your next is the better movie. I mean, not that that matters, but that's what was going through my mind. I'm surprised by that. I never saw your next. It, I was it's su- the better movie. I was surprised by it too. Yeah. Um, really. Yeah. If you want like a really smart, funny horror comedy, check out your next. Okay. Like I, I had no idea that it was going. You know, because you see the ads and everything, and you're like, people wearing animal masks and home invasion, and you're like, ah. Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm really not sure that I'm into this. You know, this doesn't really, you know, whatever. But yeah. then, you know, you watch it and you're like, oh, this is like a comedy. You know, like tonally, it's kind of like scream, you know, kind of thing. Okay. I mean, it's okay. not like self-referential like that, but in terms of like the humor to, you know, horror ratio or whatever, you know, it's got okay. that kind of going on. And it's actually like really smart and funny. I, Interesting. I, I definitely, Interesting because the title is a- that movie. Title's a big thing for me. So, like, the whole thing that ruled it out was, I was like, you're next. That's a dumb title. Yeah. And, like, that's why I didn't go. Yeah. So, all right, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, check it out. And okay. that guy, Adam Wingard, who, who directed that movie, also made another movie recently called The Guest, which I think is actually on Netflix now. Okay. And it's kind of like a throwback to sort of, like, 80s like terminator style action movies Ooh. in a sense oh that's that's compelling to me i mean it's not like sci-fi or anything but just sort of like that sort of like feel and that one's really good too sure okay yeah, yeah that 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 sounds good so when you say that your next was better than the world's end is it they're both four stars but you just like the you just like the final the final 15 minutes of your next better or your next is four and a half stars and the world's end is four. Like what kind of distinction are we talking there? Um, I mean, I, I usually don't do the half star thing cause it's like, okay. how, how, how like fine of a scale is this? You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I guess I, I gave your next four stars as well, but I definitely think that your next is above world's end on pretty much every level. But that being said, I, I obviously liked world's end a lot too. And, um, Watching it this time, you know, I, I never really felt the desire to go back and watch World's End again. Like, even even now for this, I was like, okay, I've got the other two on Blu-ray. Do I get this one just to complete the trilogy and have them all on my shelf or whatever? And I was like, uh, nah, I'll just rent it, you know? I'll just rent it because, I mean, I'm probably never going to watch it again. 
But okay. watch, watching it now, I was like, wow, yeah, this movie actually works a lot better than I remember it working. You know, I, I would still say it's it, when, when I went to rank it, I'm like four stars. And I look and I'm like, oh, I gave it four stars last time. That's interesting. Um, Consistent. So I don't know whether I sort of just fell out of love with it over time or whether I, I really do like it a lot more now than I did before. But like I remember the last time having a problem with the ending and this time I really didn't have a problem with the ending. Maybe because yeah. I knew what was coming instead of what my expectations were. See, the the ending is weird because it almost seems to undercut the point that the entire movie is making. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, like... I. I'm not going to go into details because I do think that this is a movie. If if people haven't seen it, they should go see it. Yeah. Uh, And uh, so uh, just speaking very as obliquely as possible about the ending. When you get to the part where they sort of sum everything up. It it really seems to undercut and I've I've kind of I've kind of been wrestling with it in my head since watching it of were they trying to purposely subvert it? And say that that Peg's character had been convinced his life was a washout when really he had the right idea. Or was it saying that if we all followed our impulse about never wanting to get better, uh, it would be the the end of the world. So, you know, metaphorically speaking, Um you know, like I, I can't, I couldn't tell what they were doing or whether they left it muddy because they got to a certain point and they were like, I don't really know how to end this. Cause the ending, the very end of it, like the last four minutes yeah. feels like they wrote that first and then backfilled the rest of the movie to get there. Yeah. It, it, it felt like, you know, they, they, they definitely knew it, where they were going with it, you know, for sure. You know? I yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we might be getting into some spoiler territory here, just so, so people know. But I guess the, the, what I what I took away from that ending is he does he does learn the error in his ways, right? He mm-hmm. does change, and and you know grow up. Which I mean, that's the, you know a big theme throughout all of these movies is you know growing up in a sense. And yeah. uh, he he do, he does that, but what he finds. And partially it's because of the world as it's left at the end of this thing, a world which is, I guess, in some ways of his making, since he's the one who, you know, changes things, you know, through his actions. He really is sort of like, well, the king of that world, you know, his personality is... Uh, what, you know, is what stands out in that society. He's like an alpha alpha person now, you know, but he has grown up. He has learned that what he was chasing was not, uh, he wasn't going to find it the way that he was mm-hmm. chasing it. You know, he, right. he, he changes his ways and then gets what he was, what he was trying to get before. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. I it, it totally does. And it, it sort of it sort of fits in with, you know, when they go back to the town, I I give them credit. I'm going to use the term uh where they said that uh they were starbucking everything. Yeah. Cuz they kept yeah. going to the pubs and everything looked exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I was like that that was pretty clever. Well done. But that in and of itself sort of creates that tension. I I you know, I guess you're right. I I I can see your read and it does work. Because 
it is all about the tension of he is he's stuck in the past, but it's because the present slash future wasn't worth attaining. Mm-hmm. The world as it had been created was not worth being a part of. Yeah. Um, so okay, I, I can see I can see that layer now. I like that. I like that read. Um, but there's like the whole thing which I think is really important where he goes into the into the bar and he asks for the tap water. You know, mm-hmm. I mean that's like you know sort of a big a big key component to that you know and it it signals you know a certain growth on his part for sure yeah but yeah it's it's interesting now i mean you talked about like them maybe starting with the ending and working their way backwards and i mean i think for sure that had to have happened just because i think generally speaking that's what happens you know i mean i remember seeing a thing with uh frank miller where he was at a convention and someone asked him like when you're writing do you know where you're going do you know what the ending is and uh he said yeah you have to you know otherwise you don't know how to get there you know something something to that effect and i mean that that may be true or it may not be true or it's true for some people but not others but i think in a case like this where not only do you have two people but you have two people who have planned a trilogy of films and have known for a long time what that last film is going to be. They were talking about The World's End ever since, you know, Hot Fuzz came out. But it took them six years to make it, you know, because their careers blew up. You know, I mean, I, I really see it yeah. as kind of like a thing where it's like they make Shaun of the Dead, you know, in 2004. And that, you know, is huge. So then that means they get more money to do another one. And, you know, a higher budget and, and more ambitious and everything. And then they do that one and that, you know, blows up too. But then it's like, okay, well, do you want to still keep on doing this thing? Or do you want to use your, your opportunity here, your chance to branch out and do crazy things and star in Mission Impossible and, you know, all that other stuff. And they're doing all of that stuff. And I think they just kind of got caught up in, you know, their careers. And it was always sort of a question of like, well, when are you going to, finish up the trilogy and they're like well we just have to our schedules need to line up and it's you know kind of hard and it took them six years to do that but that's six years of them sitting around thinking about this movie that they're gonna do you know and so they had to have had the the basic structure of it mapped out pretty early on you know sure they had to have known where it was going but see i'm talking about in terms of there's that little coda at the end yeah. a little narrated coda yeah that's the part that i think that was written as standalone like there because in a sense there's two endings to this mm-hmm. you know there there's the ending of of the story and then there's the little coda yeah and what i'm saying is i think that they wrote the coda as almost like a little short story sort of thing and then wrote the rest of the movie to get there and i mean it could be i mean if you look at at there are other scripts too and everything you see that they they really do kind of do that you know where they yeah, have okay i mean Shaun of the dead in particular you know and i mean it speaks i think a lot to you know their 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 skill you know at at you know their sort of mastery of structure and, and stuff like that i think it's also quite possible that maybe they got to the end and they wrote the coda in order to fit the rest of the the movie you know sort of like a reverse or maybe uh, not a reverse 
order kind of thing. Okay. Like there's that one joke that they they have. It, I mean, this is a little bit different because it comes beforehand. But in like Shaun of the Dead, there's the the joke towards the beginning where they're like, "Well, what are we going to do today?" And I think it's Nick Frost who says, "Well, we can do this and this and this and this and this. Go to this place and have this and you know and things like you know have a Bloody Mary and blah blah blah." And then if you watch the movie, you'll see that they actually do all of those things. Like they uh. they kill a person named Mary, and that's the Bloody Mary. And then they go over to the <laughs> Winchester and have a pint and, and yeah. all, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, they've talked about like, you know, it took us a, a whole day to write that one joke, that one line. But it was totally worth it, you know. And I could kind of see them doing something like that with the ending, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, okay. I, I could see that. See, I, I, I got to be honest with you that I don't know whether it's because of the newness. I am going to go back. I am going to watch it again because I actually, I think I might like this one the best of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that's I, I probably not the, the, the common opinion or anything, but like I love Shaun of the Dead, but it's still, you, you know, even watching it now, you can tell that it's, you know, they're, they're, they're starting to hone their craft. And then Hot Fuzz is really a lot of fun, but there's not the same sort of character development to it. Whereas I thought there were some real dramatic beats in this that gave it a lot of resonance. Um, the arguments between uh, between Nick Frost and Simon Pegg's character through the entire movie. And then, you know... I've, I'm not going to spoil what, but like they have that very dramatic moment uh, near the end of the film, and it, like there, and it, it very much carries that connotation of like, you know, the these people that we want to judge for being quote unquote stuck in the past. There's a real emotional pain to them, you know that that is there, and like that sort of resonates. Like it, it reminds you to be a human about the people that you want to tear down for always wanting to be stuck in the past. It's like, well, what pain is keeping them there? Like talk to them, you know, like that, that sort of thing. So like in a sense, world's end really does like, there were some, there were some moments that really resonated to me and it, it it had sort of a, a richness to it that I didn't, maybe I just didn't expect it. Like I was expecting something that had, the same treatment as, you know, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, this really seemed to have more of a dramatic weight to it. And I think that might, I, I you know, I have to go back after we watch it, but I, I think I might actually like it the best of the three. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. You know, I was kind of thinking the same thing as I was watching this. I don't know, it's really hard for me to kind of like pick and choose which ones I think are the best because I think that each of them have their own, you know, sort of unique qualities and there are like elements of some which I like better than elements of others. Like I, I do think that by far this one has has the best direction. You know, you can really yeah. tell that Edgar Wright has become sort of a master uh, in terms of visuals and everything. And I think with this one, he he did use Bill Pope as his cinematographer, who he worked with on Scott Pilgrim, but who prior to this had shot you know the Matrix movies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know. And he's, you know, obviously going to bring a, a great visual style to, to the piece and everything. But the, you could really tell that, you know, technically speaking, they were on top of their game with this one. Uh, but 
like as far as like the writing is concerned, you know, I'd, I'd say I still think that Shaun of the Bed is Shaun of the Dead is probably the the best um, written of the three, and I think a lot mm-hmm. of that has to do with the fact that you know, c- kind of like I was saying a few weeks ago, it's the idea of like you've been waiting your entire life to make your first movie, and they probably worked on that script for years and years and years. Would be my guess you know, to get it exactly where they want it to be. Whereas, you know, Hot Fuzz is, I think, the fluffiest of all of them. Yeah. But in some ways, I think it's the most fun. And like you're saying with this one, you know, in addition to being, you know, very technically well done, it does have sort of a, a emotional resonance to it, which is cool. Uh, and you also have to give them credit for sequentially casting their bonds. Yeah. Because if if they have if they do another movie together, they need to bring Daniel Craig in now. Yeah, it's so. too bad they couldn't get Sean Connery and uh, <laughs> George Lazenby and Roger Moore. Yeah, that would be okay, that would be funny if they had all been on the town council. But um, and and also you here you had uh, in addition to Pierce Brosnan, Rosamund yeah. Pike, who was that's right his Gone his Girl fi- and his final Bond girl. Oh no, I didn't know that. I haven't seen the last Brosnan movie, so that okay. Yeah, she's she's the woman from Die Another Day. Yeah, I still have I still haven't seen that. I've been told that uh I shouldn't, but I'm going to. It's the only Bond movie I've never seen. Wow, that's weird. So no, it's isn't it? it's not that bad. I, I actually enjoy it quite a bit. It, I, it's interesting because it's a throwback to sort of the over the top spectacle um, you know, Roger Moore Bonds. It's got yeah. like the crazy, you know, like the invisible car kind of thing yeah. going on. But the, the other thing that it did since it was done for the, uh, it, well, it was the 20th Bond, right? So that was the yeah. significant thing. So what it has is somewhere or another in, in every, in every, well, not every scene, but some, throughout the movie, there are references to each of the other Bond movies. Okay. Either a prop or a line or whatever, and okay. I've always likened it to the um, to the uh, Jordan Dub Zero. Uh, Jordan Dub Zero. I don't know what that is. It is a shoe which was done for I think the twentieth anniversary, ah. where it has elements from all of his other shoes in it. It's kind so of so it's a like mess. a zombie shoe. Yeah, a Frankenstein shoe. Yeah, Frankenstein. Okay, yeah. better. Which yes. is actually what they call shoe. them. They call them Frankenstein shoes. And uh, yes, <laughs> it is kind of a Frankenstein movie. Not that Frankenstein, but you know, the movie is a Frankenstein. Anyway, okay. but it, it it does kind of work. You know, it is alive, um, for better or worse. And uh, it's you know, it's a fun movie. Oh well, it's got that I, rocking I, I, theme song by Madonna. No, see, that's I'll I will fast forward through the credits. I've heard the song. The song is absolute dreck. But the it's the, awful. the the sequence is actually important. Like they kind of show what he's been I will, going through. I'll watch it on mute. Okay. I will I will mute Madonna. But the the weird thing for me is having seen Gone Girl before seeing The World's End. Mm-hmm. It's very tough to not see her as Gone Girl like the whole time. Like yeah. I. It was a conscious effort not to say that's Gone Girl, that's Gone Girl, and it, like, you know, to her credit, she she plays a completely different type of character, and you know, and the accent and everything, 
but it's just it's just weird seeing Gone Girl up there because like I cannot see her without thinking of that performance because yeah you know, she was so good in it but yeah that movie's so good it's crazy yeah 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 it is weird she kind of disappeared for years after Die Another Day but it's also strange in that you know it's like oh you know and and you know she wasn't like the main you know Bond girl but still it's yeah. like oh she's the Bond girl and there's James Bond and then in this you know. Pierce Brosnan's like the their older teacher, you know. Yeah. And you know she's like the same age as you know the protagonists, and it's like, well, that's that's a bit of an age gap, but <laughs> I guess it was back in uh, the James Bond movie too, like a good twenty something years. So you know, it's a fine James Bond tradition to have that age difference. <laughs> yeah. Well, what can you do? So, uh, so yeah, okay. What what did you think about uh, Simon Pegg's performance in this? I I thought it was great. I really did. Uh, he he impressed me. He surprised me, if anything. Uh, and I don't I don't want that to come off as like an insult toward him. But I didn't honestly think because you know we're talking about the the dramatic weight. I wouldn't have pegged him as somebody able to carry some of those heavier scenes. You but wouldn't he did. have pegged him? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, like, it, it was a pleasant surprise. The, the weird thing is, whenever he dyes his hair, and I include Star Trek in this, whenever he dyes his hair, it's just weird. Yeah. It really is kind of weird. Um, but yeah, his performance was great. I thought, you know, because um, we were talking about this when we were talking about Paul. Like, I just think that, uh, you know, that, that Wright knows how to work with him. And also, be, you know, being co-writer on the script with him probably really helped, too, because they're gone was that that stilted nature that I didn't like from from Paul. He was he was really vibrant and alive and believable again. There were actually his performance is so good that there were moments where I forgot I was watching Simon Pegg where I was believing it was the character. And that's a big thing for me where it's that, you know, once somebody is recognizable up to a certain point, you know, you, you, you suspend disbelief and you go through, but you're never really convinced they're that person. He pulled that off a couple of times in this. I thought he was really strong performance. Yeah, I agree. It was, um, it's interesting because, I mean, I guess they did this in all three movies where the characters were very different that that Peg and, and Frost played from one movie to the next. But mm-hmm. I don't know. To me, it seems like if Shaun of the Dead is the baseline, Hot Fuzz, it was like in both cases, them sort of doing that, but over the top, you know, where mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, the character of Nick Angel is like, always so serious and always so on to the point of like parody and and Nick Frost's character is so childlike and so naive to the point of parody that it's just like oh they're just taking the joke further you know whereas here I mean it was going in the other direction and it 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 really felt like they were playing like different people you know especially Nick Frost where he's like completely straight laced and everything like that yeah. And he's he's kind of like the straight man in in this in this scenario, but I, I was definitely impressed with with both of their performances. I I thought it was kind of strange and interesting that they decided to add three other people to the mix, hmm. you know, and really sort yeah. of make it like an ensemble piece. Whereas, 
the other two are very much sort of like buddy movies. But this is two. It's just, I mean, that that's their relationship is certainly the heart of the story. Yeah. It's just that there's other stuff going on outside of it. You know. Well, it, it was nice to see Martin Freeman uh, reappear after his brief appearance in uh, Shaun of the Dead and and so. and Hot Fuzz. What? He plays oh, like that's right. the, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you're right. Yes, yeah. he was. Uh, he was in the police precinct. Yeah, this is uh, yes, and even Bill Nighy manages to get into the film, but we won't tell you where. You'll yeah. have to figure it out on your own. Yeah, that one's a bit of a surprise. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I I am very impressed with this movie. You know, rewatching it, uh, I have a, a much greater appreciation for it, which maybe I never had, or maybe I lost. Um, but I, I, I definitely thought it was very solid. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Well, any, any, any final thoughts on? Yeah, I, I, you know, I strongly encourage everybody, if you haven't seen it to go out and see it, um, you know, rent it. It's on, uh, I know it's on Amazon prime. That's how I saw it. So I'm sure it's on iTunes as well. I could, I could have watched it for free. No, no, no. I still had to pay. Oh, so, okay. it, it, so it wasn't a free movie on Prime. It was it. Uh, I had to pay for it. Okay. So, all right. Okay. But it was worth the rental price. That I think is the highest praise you can give something. Is is it worth the price? Yes, it is. You know, it's crazy how spoiled kids are today. You know. Yeah, those whippersnappers. It's like they're, sh- they're hanging baggy jeans and their remote controls. No, they don't have iPhones. hanging bagging jeans anymore. Now they're all skinny jeans. You know, wait, wait, wait. No, but I thought it was. Oh, never mind. <laughs> but regardless of that, you know, it's like they've got thousands of movies at their disposal for eight dollars a month on Netflix, yeah. and then you're like, "Well, this one's not on Netflix." Like, you got? You mean I, I have to pay four dollars to rent it? Yeah. It's like, yeah, that we did that all the time. We would get one movie for three dollars and twenty five cents. <laughs> that was it. That was all we got. And we always thought we were getting such a great deal from Blockbuster where we could rent it for three days. But it was like, how many times are you going to watch the movie? Yeah. Like, you'd have to be picking up something that you already saw, like, loved and had every intention of marathoning. In which case, just go buy the damn thing yourself. Yeah. 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 But now it's like, you know, twisting their arm to get them to watch a Star Wars movie because it's not on Netflix. It's like, come on, guys. You know? I know. I know. I know. It's, you know, it's crazy. The fact that you can... You know what? This is a dangerous rabbit hole to go down, and then we wind up just like uh, uh, Simon Pegg's character in uh, in this film. We'll get we'll get stuck in that feedback loop. But yeah, well worth it. Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. Well, it's been fun talking about the world's end today, but that's not the only thing we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek FM, Standard Orbit. <laughs> Sure, it's got the cheesy alien and the cheesy fight scenes, but that's that's Star Trek. I'm sorry, that's the original series. Oh yeah, and no, no, I'm not going to apologize for it. That's Star Trek. Yeah, deal is. with it. Yeah, deal with it. Earl Grey. Well, it does all those cloak experiments. It deployed that communications array. Minefield? And the minefield for exploratory purposes. <laughs> Let's not talk about the Defiant, because you know it's just going to upset me. To the journey! It's a very much the genesis of Seven of Nine. Genesis? Genesis? Genesis allowed us not. Sorry. Commentary, Trek Stars. 
You know what? See, the thing is now, if uh, Star Trek Beyond goes sideways in any way, you've planted that line in my brain. And I'm like, I only got half a peg. And I'm just going to trot that out if I, if I don't like Star Trek Beyond. The 602 Club. Or, or staying and trying to turn this guy and almost become the mentor and he becomes more of the student because he's insane and trying to bring sanity back to him because there's such few sure. Well, and I sure. think that's what Luke was going to do until Mara showed up and needed his help and she went with him. Literary Treks. The pinnacle of episodes that we've ever done on that was probably when we had Tristan from To the Journey on to talk about some Voyager comics and... <laughs> We ended up, that show was named Two Box Remedial School for Badasses or something of that nature. So, I mean, yeah, these old comics can just be very, very fun. Meta Trex. You're not going to see a bunch of Klingons hanging around eating cake and, and you know, <laughs> laughing at uh, Well, Klingon unless show. it has, unless it's a peptide cake with mint frosting. <laughs> peptide cake, indeed. Indeed. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what's going on in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Uh, One way that you can help us uh, bring these shows to you each week is to go to the Trek FM store and buy some stuff. There's some cool stuff. Yes, a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. There are sweatshirts and there are stickers. And there are a lot of uh, really cool things to go pick up. There's a new design. Did you see the new Christmas? No, design? I haven't seen it yet. It's no. like a, it's like a Christmas tree made up of like Star Trek things, and like the Trek FM logo is out, out at the top and everything. And yeah, it's pretty cool. My wife Sold. is like, my wife's like, I want one of those, and she doesn't even listen to Trek FM. So there you go. Um, so, and, and yeah, so, so go there, you know, it, they've been having deals going on every, every, well, I don't know. It was it's not every day, but with Christmas coming up. So, you know, be sure to, to check it out. Apparently there is a link, which you can go to, if you go to trek.fm slash store, it'll take you right there. So check awesome. that out. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trek.fm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trek.fm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact. You can leave a voicemail. Uh, just look on the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. You can find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Facebook is also where you'll find the Babel Conference. That's our user-listener forum thingy. Uh, just type the Babel Conference into the search field on Facebook. That's B-A-B-E-L. 
John, where can people find you? Uh, well, uh, you know what? <clears throat> For the next couple of weeks, you're not going to be able to find me much anywhere because with Star Wars coming out, I'm laying low. So look for me on another podcast called uh, Wars with Nerds uh, that, that drops on Thursdays uh, that I co-host with my buddy Craig. And as for the rest of it, I, I'm going to be, yeah, by the time this, uh, this airs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have gone dark on social media. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking of doing the same thing. I'm sick and tired of, you know, like, I mean, the worst. And like, I, I skimmed over it, so I didn't actually see what it was, okay? But yeah. numer- when, when they were doing their, like, Twitter Q&A with Star yep. Wars at StarWars.com mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. and, like, they asked something, and Harrison Ford said something, yep. and then a million websites were like, did Harrison Ford just drop a really big spoiler and say that yep. blank? And it's like, <laughs> well, then did you just now? Because I think you did. You, you just, uh, it's funny because I happened to see that. I wasn't really paying attention to it. I happened to see it, and Harrison Ford said his thing. And uh, there's another host on this network, Matthew, uh-huh. where I sent a note to him, and he, he said, his reaction was very positive. He was like, yeah. And I actually sent him a note where I said, I'm not effing talking about this. Don't even mention it to me. I, I want to try to forget. I'm not going to forget. But damn it, Harrison Ford. You're, you, how long you've been in this business? You know you're not supposed to. Say, and as for the person screening his answers, come yeah, on, man. That's, that's the one where I couldn't believe it. You know, I can totally see Harrison Ford saying something. I can't see whoever is doing that being like, oh, yeah. You know, I just I, I, I was so mad. I mean, in the grand scheme, it's not going to lessen the enjoyment of the film if it's good. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's the sort of plot point that I was happy not knowing because it would have been a great plot point not to know. Yeah, you want you want things to be a surprise, you know? Yes. I want to experience it fresh. Yeah. But oh well. That's why I'm going dark on social media for a little bit. I, I, I don't know about those 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 like screener people for, for questions, you know? I mean, that my my friend was telling me that like at Celebration Four, I guess it was, for in two thousand and seven, okay. like George Lucas was there, and yeah. or no, maybe it was. I'm sorry, it was Celebration Three, right? George Lucas was there, and no, I, George Lucas. Oh yeah, George Lucas yeah. was there because I didn't wait in line because right. I thought it was stupid to wait in line. Yeah, me yes. too. It was rainy. We got in line yeah. and we were like. F this. I, I said, like, would George Lucas wait <laughs> outside in the middle of the night in the rain to see me? No. All right. See. I'll never forget somebody that was waiting in line got hypothermia that night. Really? Oh, wow. Yep. Because they'd been drinking and they didn't wear a coat or something like that. I remember, like, I, I was with a bunch of friends, and, like, aside from my, my good friend Zach, like, all of the other people I was with were all like, screw George Lucas. We don't care, you know? And they were like, we wouldn't, like, they, they were like, we would never consider waiting in line for this, right? And yeah. my, my one friend, Josh, who was, like, very big on, like, I don't care, I don't care, whatever, you know, he he didn't go, didn't do anything. And when George Lucas was going to give his last talk, apparently they, like, miscounted or something and had yeah. some extra seats in there. And he happened to randomly be walking by the theater. Oh, come on. And they're like, do you want to go see George Lucas? And he's like, sure. And just gets to walk <laughs> in and see it. You know? That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't. That's think a feel-good so. story for the holiday season. Yeah, right there, I, I didn't think so at the time. Yeah, I was pretty <laughs> bitter about that myself, but whatever. 
anyway. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. Well, if you if you want, you know, I'm I'm I might go Twitter dark too, Twitter dark thirty, or or whatever. <laughs> um, but in in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at mumbles three k, or you can find me um, here on Trek FM doing one more episode of Standard Orbit. It's a bittersweet time, Mike. Yep, yep. What can you do? And you can f- find me um, <laughs> on CommentaryTrackStars.com doing Commentary Trackstar Babies. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So Yeah. Well, you can find the show on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. All right. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, track stars, and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. John, what book do you have for us this week? Well, everybody may know that Simon Pegg is playing Scotty in the next Star Trek as he has played in the last two. And so uh, for this week on Audible.com, I have selected Star Trek The Next Generation Relics, adapted, written by Michael Jan Friedman and narrated by James Doohan and LeVar Burton. Mm. The USS Enterprise discovers the wreckage of a starship upon the monstrous surface of a Dyson Sphere, an artificially constructed habitat built around a star, and preserved in a weak transporter pattern is Starfleet engineering legend Montgomery Scotty Scott. Mr. Scott boards the Enterprise to find himself lost in a world that he barely recognizes, a world that has passed him by, but is not yet an alternate timeline. This is I true. added that last part. Yeah, and you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM. As a Trek FM listener, you can get an audio book of your choice along with the 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. Okay, well, that's it. 162 episodes. That means that we have recorded as many episodes as there are games in a baseball season. I thought that was 163. Nope, only when there's a tie for the playoffs. Okay. Well, so we're... All right, so how strong is that? We're going to have more episodes at the end of this than games in a baseball season. Yeah, you have about how many there would be in a, in a typical playoff run, I guess. Awesome. 20 episodes to go. So we're closing in on the World Series is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the Sox were able to win the World Series in, you know, 12 games. They went 11-1 and in the postseason. <laughs> so we're no White Sox, but, you know, we're like the Cubs or something. <laughs> oh, no, wait, they didn't win the World Series. Never mind, never mind. <laughs> All right, well, we'll be back next week to recap our series on Simon Pegg, taking a look at all of the movies he wrote. 